Hey everybody, it's Michael here, and you're listening to the Good E-Reader Radio Show. Everybody, welcome back to the Goody Reader Radio Show. My name is Michael, and of course, I'm joined today by Jer- Jeremy Greenfield of Digital Book World. How are you doing? Pretty good. How are you, Michael? I'm fairly adequate, thanks. So you just had a very successful conference in New York last week. Yes, we did. It was the Digital Book World Marketing and Publishing Services Conference and Expo. A mouthful, but I assure you to people who went, it made a lot of sense. Um, we have, I think we sold, we, we hit our projections of all the tickets we wanted to sell and people left, I think, very, very happy. And it was a really successful continuation of our Digital Book World Discoverability Marketing Conference last year. Um, so there was a lot of coverage uh, of it in the press. We wrote a number of articles about it and I believe the slides are available on the website right now which is marketing.digitalbookworld.com. So uh, anyone who's interested in what happened at the conference should go check it out. Excellent. So I guess what we've seen in terms of 
digital publishing and ebook news is that with the Frankfurt Book Fair coming up, there's a lot of news coming out, a lot of new agreements and a lot of distribution, uh, everything from the major publishing companies to uh, the distributors such as Overdrive. Uh, what are your thoughts right now, Jeremy, on in terms of the worldwide sort of embracing of ebooks and, and more countries kind of coming online and being able to like offer the the population books in their own native language i think barring any massive worldwide disaster th- this is inevitable um you know companies like amazon apple kobo there are some local players here and there are seeing the value in delivering ebooks to uh, readers all over the world, both in their own languages and also in English. And when they see that value, they go after it. Uh, we've been talking about this at Digital Book World for many years. If, you, if you've attended our conferences, you know that international eBooks is always a big topic. And, and the reason is, is the promise of digital delivery you know, makes it so easy to imagine a world where you can self-publish a book in somewhere in the middle of the U.S. and that book could be read by people uh, halfway around the world within minutes. Um, and that is really appealing to authors and to publishers and to anybody who wants to reach an audience with an idea or, or, or a book to sell them. Um, so now we're starting to see that in places like the Czech Republic, like New Zealand, you know, not, not you know, the big, big first-tier economies. E-reading is really starting to pick up. And what that means is that um, you know, companies like Amazon and Kobo and Apple and the, the big publishers around the world and any publisher that really has international aspirations, they're starting to get clued into that and they're starting to sign deals uh, to bring their ebooks to more places. So today we saw two big announcements. Simon & Schuster uh, signed a deal with Yilin Press, a, a Chinese publisher, to distribute Yilin's ebooks around the world. And Hachette um, formed a partnership between two of its largest publishing groups to make sure that all its English language ebooks were sold everywhere around the world. Um, and I think we're going to see a lot, lot more of this uh, in the next year or two. Yeah, and I mean, I guess we always kind of hear about the aggressive expansion of ebooks and and being able to offer a localized content at one time in one country and being able to appeal to expats to people that uh, speak uh, that language that live in other countries and so you're kind of making digital books more accessible but I think the one big reason that people are embracing it a bit more is just because of not only the proliferation of tablets and e-readers, but the price. You know, a hardcover mm-hmm. book, about $30, $30. Uh, academic textbooks, sometimes in the hundreds. And you can get the digital edition fairly cheaply now. Yeah, and we're living in a world now, too, where the idea of take, cutting down some trees, making them into a book, then shipping that thing using gasoline and other natural resources to somewhere where someone might buy it and if they don't it'll be shredded uh, and and basically not used um, versus digital delivery which does cost electricity and server time and isn't without you know isn't something that that costs nothing Um, you know I think people especially most Western countries like the idea of being more efficient and like the idea of of wasting less and then think about it from the perspective of of an author even if you're an author and you can have a book published, and then the next day you can get an email from someone halfway around the world saying, I loved your book, this book inspired me, um, this book reached me. I mean, that, that's, that's, a, that's an idea that almost makes me want to choke up. I think it's a really beautiful idea, and I think it's a really, really exciting idea, and I think we're starting to see that become a reality. And it was so 
clear that it was going to become a reality years ago, but you don't know until you know, and now it really is getting there. So in terms of, you know, since we're we're talking about ebooks and stuff here, what do you think about the whole deal that's happened with Scribd? So we are now seeing an explosion of uh, subscription ebook services. And Oyster was something that in the industry there's a lot of buzz about. When it came out, there was another service that was, you know, similar but different called Erita that came out. And of course, you've got the Kindle Owners Lending Library, which was sort of a late it was like a 2011-2012 idea. Um, but this, this is becoming a big idea now that it's really going to be tested in the market. And the interesting thing about Scribd is that when Scribd came out, you saw a huge number of news articles that basically said, finally, a Netflix for eBooks is here, a Spotify for eBooks is here. And a lot of those same publications published articles a month earlier when Oyster came out that said basically the same thing. Yeah. But I think with Scribd, the tone is a little different. The tone isn't, will a Spotify for eBooks work? The tone is, finally, we've got a Spotify for eBooks. And I think people look at Scribd and they see, wow, this, this company has 80 million monthly visit, visitors. Um, they have a huge audience who are used to sort of buying things in a subscription way. Um, now we'll really get to test out you know, how popular this idea is, how profitable it can be, and how much publishers want to be a part of it. So if I were people running Oyster right now, I would be uh, watching the news very carefully and seeing what's happening uh, with Scribd and if it's working, and, and not to mention, by the way, the price point's lower than what Oyster is offering. Um, I don't think that's going to make a huge dent in, in whether Scribd can can win here or not. Um, but if you're at Oyster, you know you've got to be thinking about those things. So I think we're going to watch a very interesting business story develop, and at the same time, we're going to see is this how people like to read? Yeah, I mean, Scribd has actually been around for a number of years. Uh, right, and they have like close to forty million uh, books and documents, and uh, a lot of it in the past was like user-generated content, where you know you would find pirated works and stuff like that. There, um, how do you think Scribd w would change from how it used to be, you know, even a year or two ago now, to what it is now? I think that what we might see looking at it from the inside is different than what consumers will see. You know, a lot of people have used Scribd for B2B stuff or very utilitarian sharing, you know, as a one-off, and I think it could turn into a consumer brand so that more people will know about it as, oh, Scribd, you have you got Scribd? This is this place where I read all my books. Um, kind of the way Netflix evolved from being that mail order DVD service to, uh, you know, basically a streaming and content producing service. So, we'll, I think we'll see Scribd evolve as a consumer brand. Uh, from the inside, what we'll see is a really good test case of whether people want to read this way, whether it's economically feasible. And I think if it is economically feasible, if Scribd does get enough subscribers, if it helps a company like HarperCollins achieve more of its goals of making more money and distributing its eBooks in a more effective way then you're going to see other publishers probably want to sign on. I mean, look at what happened with libraries. Um, you know, some of the early publishers who got involved with libraries tested a number of things, and now they're all doing it because they see, I presumably, benefit in it. Yeah, I mean, I guess with libraries, the dichotomy is a little bit different because you have uh, the American Library Association, which has been lobbying very, very hard. Like, I get, I, I talk to them regularly, um, probably every week or so, and they're, like, in overdrive almost in, in 
And I think that they were like seminal. No pun intended, right? Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, <laughs> overdrive. <laughs> they 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 were like hardcore lobbying for almost like years to try to get like Simon and Schuster and Penguin and and Harper Collins involved and and being able to make them see the value of giving things away for free, whereas publishers before were, you know, if something's given away for free, it devalues the product. And, and, and I've heard that those exact words came out of the mouths of some pretty high-profile executives at those companies. And now they've kind of found um, a lending model that worked. And it, it's a boon for consumers because in the past, li- digital library lending only occurred in you know North America, maybe the UK and Australia, but now it's it's everywhere. I think um, there's a, a news article that came across my desk today uh, from Overdrive, and they were just basically saying that in 2013 they've signed up like 500 new libraries in places like Turkey, Malaysia, Iceland, India, uh, Norway, Taiwan, and uh, in Australia with a big W. And yeah, I, absolutely. I, I think that this is huge news because like, they now have like 20,000 libraries all over the world being able to make ebooks a little bit more accessible and being able to have like those frontless titles from the major publishers makes it a little bit more relevant. Absolutely. And I think that you're, what you're going to see uh, is probably one of two things happen that are, is going to be significant. One is all these programs are going to really work out well for publishers. They're going to work out well for authors. They're going to work out well for readers. And they're going to increase. Um, you know, the, the major publishers that are still doing pilots are going to increase those pilots. Um, and you're going to see more ebooks available. And you'll see more libraries developing you know, their digital catalogs. Um, or you're going to see that publishers decide, you know what, this isn't good for us, uh, and we're willing to take the PR hit uh, to to change the way we relate with libraries to be more advantageous. Uh, publishers have been, you know, just stepping back for a second. Publishers have been really, really good at not watching their businesses implode. I mean, think about what the internet and digital distribution did to magazines and newspapers. Um, those businesses have changed radically, and they're not nearly as big as they were. And Dozens and dozens of newspapers and magazines have gone out of business. But the big book publishers have, have fared really, really, really well, and they've been smart about it. And part of, about, part of that is being cautious and you know, trying to make the best decisions for them and their employees and all their constituents. So I think that if the library lending benefits the publishers and the authors, you're going to see it increase. And if it doesn't, I think you'll, you'll, you might see a step back. But, but I feel like, you know, having talked to the ALA and spoken to a lot of publishers, that this is going to work and this is going to be something that, that really benefits everybody. Do you think that the success of eBooks is derived through the case studies of how digital music, um, you know, their, their, the trials and tribulations that occurred with, you know, uh, Early on with digital music, it was like all about pirated. You know, it was like Kazaa and, and you know um, all the all the BitTorrent sites, and then you know people started wising up and like you know formed solid distribution channels like uh, iTunes and and you know uh, real networks media and things like that. Do you think that the reason why eBooks almost made that seamless transition from physical to digital was because of that case study with how music and the big studios and, and, and big companies, how they adapted to the landscape. 
I think yes and no. Uh, clearly, you know, music provided a very scary case study for what can happen with digital distribution. And I think publishers have taken a lot of lessons from that. You know, one, be very cautious with what you do. Two, you know, piracy is something to worry about. Uh, three, you know, you don't want to let one company dominate the industry because that one company, uh, you know, may or may not be friendly to what you want to be doing. Um, and I think, you know, clearly publishers are very, very wary of that uh, right now. Um, but at the same time, I think publishers understand that you know the way people consume music is really different than the way that they consume books. And uh, you know, part of the side effects is you know piracy just really crushed the music industry uh, for for a very long time, and is still a huge problem for music. With books, piracy you know is something publishers worry about. Uh, it's certainly something rights holders worry about. And if you ask an author, you know, how many copy, how many pirated copies is it okay for there to be out there? You know, I would say none. Because um, it doesn't feel good when someone steals your stuff. But at the same time, it's not a huge economic problem for publishers. So I think you know, they are taking lessons from what those other industries have done. Um, but at the same time, I think they're realizing that you know, books are different in a way because of the way people read them. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you, I think, on how publishers aren't really worried about piracy. Uh, we both have been to tons of publishing events where you know you you have you know like John Sargent talking and, and you know kind of high profile executives even with like magazine companies with like Zinio and, and things like that they don't really nobody ever really says that there's like a piracy problem with like ebooks and one thing that we sort of developed, I guess, in the last few months was um, a bestseller list that we compile our data actually from pirate sites, file sharing sites, torrent sites, and things like that, just to be able to give um, a new perspective on what genres and what type of you know books are people pirating, and it would be you'd be surprised because if you look at the New York Times bestseller list, there's a lot of prolific nonfiction. There's a lot of very interesting fiction reads, and then if you look at what's actually being pirated, it's all like paranormal romance. It's all like erotica and stuff like that. And it's not necessarily the books that are selling a lot of copies, but apparently it's like resonating really well with like the people that actually want to download it for free. Yeah, I love that list, and I love that you guys went in that direction with doing it. I think all that information is better when it's put in the right kind of context. And what I'd like to know is, you know, books that are pirated heavily, um, you know, what's the economic impact on their sales? Do their sales go through the floor because everyone knows they can get it for free? Do they go up because there are more readers who say, hey, uh, you should read this book that I just read, and they don't really offer to give it to them, but you know, some of those people end up buying it. Maybe there's no change. Maybe the, the pirate, book pirating economy is just completely decoupled from the, the book buying economy. And I'd love to know the answer to that question. Uh, me too. And I, I think that people just don't people don't get those like deep analytics and statistics about things like that because uh, from talking to like these pirated sites and you know trying to get their data and trying to get interviews and things like that uh they're notoriously coy they don't really kind of want to talk about it they don't want to like you know share their data streams and stuff like that because you know obviously that they're a pirate site and it's in their best interest to be like a little bit more anonymous but I guess from the little that I've actually read in terms of, you know, Bakker reports and like things like that is that pirates statistically, at least on paper for like small survey groups, they actually spend more on books than your average consumer because they'll download five books, they'll read three, they'll say, hey, I really like this author. 
uh, the author's other books aren't pirated because maybe they're they're frontless titles that just came out or they're older titles that no one is like OCR'd or scanning things like that. And so that'll force them to go out and, and, and buy the real books or to go and buy the e-books. And I think that that's maybe one of the the things that sort of that we could take away through piracy is that not all books are available and if you find an author that you like you're going to support that author and buy their books and I talk to a lot of book pirates and that's their rationale is that instead of spending a thousand dollars and trying different things they'll just pirate it and the stuff that they really like it's not available anywhere else so they'll they're They'll go and buy it, and they're not doing it grudgingly either. They'll they'll do it as like I, I'm supporting the author. I'm supporting these bookstores. Yeah, that's really interesting, and it, and it dovetails with my casual conversations with pirates as well. Um, but I, you know, I'd love to see the numbers on it. I think if you're a nervous publisher or agent or author, you know, hearing those anecdotes might be somewhat soothing. But um, you know, it, they probably want to see numbers too. So. We haven't really done a show for about like a week or two now, but there's one thing that I guess hit the industry uh, that I wanted to get your feelings about. Uh, what's the Goody Reader Radio show without us talking about Barnes and Noble? And uh, yeah. they they hired two new guys to not only head up Nook Media but to play instrumental roles in in uh, the evolutionary growth. What do you know about it? Not as much as I'd like to. Uh, these two executives come from companies uh, that are not at the very, very top of the heap technology-wise. Uh, you know, I think that gives you pause if you're an observer who wants to see Barnes and Noble uh, make the best, most impressive hires possible. Um, I, you know, I think really you want to see Barnes and Noble poach people from Amazon uh, if they're if they're working on the digital side, especially when it comes to the, the product and the user experience and the business strategy. Um, but at the same time, you know, there has been a power vacuum there for a while. Um, the company still doesn't have, you know, a global CEO to, to go over everything. And um, so to, to bring people in who are given authority to do things, um, you know, makes a lot of sense. What I wasn't told by Barnes & Noble spokespeople, uh, even though I asked, was, you know, who was let go and what reporting relationships are changed because there must be, you know, some people who were reporting higher up the ladder who are not anymore. That can cause turmoil within a company. You know, that said, Things don't seem to be going so hot for Barnes and Noble right now, so I don't know. Uh, it's not like they're, 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 there's a possibility of ruining a really good thing. I think they're, you know, they're trying to reinvigorate the brand. They're trying to bring some new ideas in the door, and the best way to bring new ideas in the door is to bring new people in the door. I think so. I mean, they they brought in, I believe, someone who used to work at Zinio, which again, you know, not at the top of the heap, but you know, they they've been around for a long time, and they they've you know pretty well. Before Apple and everyone else introduced their own newsstands, they were pretty well at the top, and then they slowly lost market share as like Amazon and, and, and Apple and all these other companies started offering their own newsstands. So it kind of relegated them to, you know, the mid-level t- type of situation now. But I totally agree. There's really no oversight, it seems, at Nook Media now. They're starting to bring some new people in, some new ideas, people in charge of like software engineering, hardware engineering, digital services, device operations, R&D, device product management, user interaction and design. You know, the, the types of things where if you're making new devices, it's all about the hardware, it's about like uh, the user experience, how does the front end look, how does it talk to the back end. It seems like they're bringing people in to 
if they're going to refresh the Nook product line, which seems like a likelihood. I've, I've talked to people within Barnes & Noble, and you know, all signs point to at least a new e-reader coming out, if not a new tablet coming out um, so at some point this year. It seems like they're positioning themselves at least for whatever is coming out next year now because whatever's coming out this year it's pretty well all finalized but i think that they're bringing people in to say okay you know what are the trends you know what do customers want for like a next year type of product when it if we're looking at uh, looking ahead if you will at uh, the christmas season the holiday season who do you think the winners and losers will be in terms of um, companies like Amazon, Kobo, and Barnes and Noble, and uh, to the lesser brands. Uh, you know, I I only can predict the trends that are already pretty clear. I, I, every year I do an article predicting what's going to happen in the following year, and you know, I, my rate's like you know sixty or seventy percent right, and I go with some safe predictions, and I talk to a lot of experts about it. Um, it's, it's really expert-driven article, and it just all trends point to Amazon and Apple. But Amazon, especially, is just gobbling up more market share and more power. Uh, Amazon was the clear winner when it came to the new devices this year. Uh, you know, it wasn't the runaway winner, but it was the clear winner. And um, you know, Apple is the, the is the hundred billion dollar company in the room. Um, you know, and it's going, it's fighting the ebook case as as we saw the news came out late last week and this weekend. Um, so I think those two companies are continuing to grow, and and they're going to grow in two important ways. One is they're going to continue to gain market share in the U.S. as I think people are going to gravitate towards the blue chip devices. Uh, and, and they're going to grow internationally. I mean, outside of Kobo, um, which is a, you know a smaller player, a player that I think we can all admit doesn't have the same chops as those two com- companies, but have, are doing a pretty good job with what they've got. Um, and uh, they're you know the, they're the only players expanding internationally. And we saw you know Singapore, for instance, um, as some of the larger ebook players moved into Singapore, some of the, the homegrown ebook retailers are disappearing. I think part of that is growth in ebooks there is slower than what people expected, but I think part of that is now they've got to compete with Amazon. Um, and when Amazon goes into places like that, uh, they become a pretty tough competitor. So I, I think that, that the spoils are going to go to the winners in this industry in the, in the next couple of years. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I, I guess Apple hasn't really announced a new generation of the iPads yet. They've, they've done the phones and... Um, I guess a lot of people are unsure whether or not Apple will release new iPad hardware this year. The time's kind of ticking for promotional marketing campaigns and things like that. I would probably say if we don't hear anything in October, likely we won't hear anything this year. But I I think I'm in agreement. Uh, I think Amazon will probably be the winner in terms of overall hardware sales going towards like the, the holiday season just because they have... Um, new paperweight, they have like three new tablets, they're doing commercials and I, I really think that that's been one of the ways that Amazon's been able to appeal to those casual consumers even though that their devices really aren't available in a lot of bookstores and they're not just there for people to make impulse buys but they have commercials that are playing during football games and, and, and big you know sort of movie premieres on TV and so people are starting to build a little bit more brand awareness where if you look at, say, like Barnes & Noble and Kobo, they rarely have commercials, if not ever. I think Kobo did their first commercial really ever last Christmas, but they didn't really have a lot of airtime with it, and it was only in certain markets, whereas with Amazon commercials, 
they're kind of everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think, you know, to, to, to the people with the resources, may go the spoils in this marketplace, and, and, and the television advertising is a big part of that. Yeah, I'm in total concurrence. So this is going to be a big week, everybody. Uh, Frankfurt Book Fair, New York Comic Con is happening this week. I know Goody Reader is live on the scene both in both places, and we'll be bringing you the most up-to-date coverage, interviews, news, previews, and everything else. So you can stay tuned to the website uh, for all that. Uh, Jeremy, what's happening at uh, Digital Book World this week? Something very important to tell everyone who listens to this cast to listen to this radio show just today, today only, October 7th, 2013. It is the last day that you can get the cheapest ticket to Digital Book World 2014 that is ever going to be available. Uh, The prices will steadily go up starting at midnight tonight. Um, And, you know, there will be low prices tomorrow, but they'll get higher eventually. And then right before the show, there will be the highest prices. So you guys all know how that works. This is going to be the biggest and best Digital Book World 2014 ever. First of all, I'll be there. Michael will be there. But second of all, uh, you know, we are projecting way more attendees than we've had in the past. We've added the business information, uh, and I'm sorry, the, the, the book information study groups, um, making information pay for higher education conference. We have a one-day conference focused on uh, higher education publishing and the new technologies like MOOCs and learning management systems that are becoming more important there. Um, we've got a one-day conference focused on children's digital. We've got over 10 workshops planned for the Monday before Digital Book World uh, that is going to be uh, very focused on ebook production, on copyright issues, on um, ebook contracts and, and legal issues, on agents in the digital age, on discovery and discoverability. Um, the ALA will be there, the American Library Association, uh, doing some, some library workshops. Uh, there's a special secret surprise that I can't tell you about that's happening right before the conference yet, but we're getting close to making that a reality. We have a gala dinner for the Digital Book Awards, which is going to be by far our biggest and best this year. Uh, uh, we extended the deadline because so many applications uh, for the awards were coming in. Uh, so it is not to be missed. Um, you know, this has been the largest ebooks and digital publishing conference in the world um, by a pretty good margin uh, for many years now, and I think it's only going to be bigger and better this year. So, um, Michael, I know I'll see you there, but I want to make sure that, that as many people listening to this now who do want to come uh, will uh, be able to be there at the lowest possible price. All right, so we'll have a link to uh, this page where you guys can sign up on uh, Goody Reader. So when you're listening to the show on the website, you can just simply click on the link. Or if you're listening to the show on other websites, including YouTube, uh, Apple iTunes, and a myriad of other sources, you could visit the website at goodyreader.com to uh, find everything out. And with the demise of O'Reilly Tools for Change, uh, the digital book world in January is the only game in town. So it's only going to get bigger and and more support as uh, we're going to see in early 2014. So, Jeremy, thanks for doing the show today. And we'll be doing this... We'll be doing this show every Monday now instead of Thursday. So keep your dials locked, your virtual ones, that is, to uh, goodyreader.com. And uh, my name is Michael. Everybody take care.